Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. And our Cleveland Cavaliers just took on the Brooklyn Nets, a franchise that is clearly on a different timeline, as evidenced by the roster shuffling at the NBA's annual trade deadline. And speaking of the deadline, there were so many moves. So many guys were on the move. David Roddy joined the Suns. Buddy Heald is now a Philadelphia 76er. Corey Joseph is a Pacer. PJ Washington was traded to the Hornets for the likes of Seth Curry and Grant Williams. Gordon Hayward was moved to the Thunder. The Bucks added Patrick Beverly. The Celtics acquired Jaden Springer. The Blazers traded for Delano Benton. The Mavs got a good big man in Daniel Gafford. The Utah Jazz made a pretty big move by trading former Cavalier Ochai Abaji and Cavs public enemy number one Kelly Olynyk to the Raptors in exchange for Otto Porter Jr. and Kyra Lewis. The Nets themselves acquired Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young. They also acquired former Ohio State Buckeye Kata Bates-Diop and Jordan Goodwin. They moved off of Spencer Dinwiddie in the process. Elsewhere, and perhaps the team that most Cavs fans were raving and ranting and freaking out about, the Knicks. They are among the most active participants of this year's deadline, and honestly, in the weeks leading up to it. They admittedly got better, at least on paper. First, they traded former third overall pick R.J. Barrett and rising young guard Emmanuel Quickly in exchange for the services of Preses Achua, Malachi Flynn, and most notably, O.G. Ananobi. A 3ND wing who had been on the market seemingly for ages, honestly, and was highly coveted by a lot of teams. Then on deadline day itself, they made another splash by acquiring former Cavalier Alec Burks, who actually spent two seasons with the Knicks prior, just a few seasons back, and Boyan Badnanovich, both of which were coming from a rebuilding Detroit Pistons team that they just did not fit the timeline-wise as aging veterans. In the process, they shipped Flynn, they moved off the contract of Evan Fournier, Ryan Argitanaco, I'm going to mispronounce your name, I don't care how many times I say that, <laughs> and Quentin Grimes along with some draft capital and cast considerations. Now, those are excellent moves. No lie, I cannot hate here. Adding OG was a no-brainer in my opinion because of the versatility and flexibility that he does offer you. Adding Burks, who is a 40% shooter this season on a career-best 5.7 attempts per game, that's just awesome. Adding Boyan, a 20 points per game score in his own right, and an even better shooter than Burks into the fold is even more awesome for them. Adding Achua gives them another wing with size who can defend. Now, obviously, they are hoping that these moves pay dividends for the postseason and that they also prove fruitful while closing out the regular season as Julius Randle recovers from his injury. Throw in the fact that they already added Dante DiVincenzo this past offseason, and that gives them about five different players fully capable of shooting 40% or better from three-point distance, with many of them playing out on the wings, which is extremely helpful in today's NBA. Now, with all of this being said, trust me, I do understand. Cleveland fans saw their favorite team stand pat while also having to sit back and watch as a team like New York was pulling out all the stops and what could easily amount to be the most wide open Eastern Conference that there has been in quite some time. The Knicks appear to be going all in or at least some rendition of it pretty close to it, right? I get it. I do. We all see this movement and want our team to keep up with the proverbial Joneses. But here is the thing. First off, this Cavs team has limited resources. That's number one. They also have a very good number of players deserving of minutes, some of which may or may not even see game action once the postseason rolls around. And here are some honest questions for you as a listener today. In your heart of hearts, 
Do you truly believe that this team could have, A, cobbled together a worthwhile offer and would be able to outbid some of these other teams in the process? And B, do you truly believe said player would be a lock for the playoff rotation? In my eyes, I don't. Now, of course, there were players that I would like to have on my team. There are always going to be that around this time of year. But at what cost? The one name that had been continuously flowing out there in the atmosphere for Cleveland seemed to be Royce O'Neal. I just kept hearing his name. Now, don't get me wrong. O'Neal is a fine player, but would the potential cost of acquiring him truly be worth it? I do not think so, Cavs fans, especially when you have a similar player making nearly half as much money and making just as much of an impact, if not more so out on that court already in your roster in Dean Wade. They do a lot of the same things, and Wade is actually defending and shooting the ball more effectively and efficiently this season. But outside of O'Neal, what other moves would have made sense? Seriously, what other moves would have made sense? They already have very solid guard depth, and while more true wings is something that could help, acquiring them just isn't as easy as some seem to think it is, especially ones who can actually space the floor. Perhaps the only other area that could use a bit of reinforcement could be that of the backup big situation with Tristan Thompson out for now. But honestly, with Thompson eventually coming back and Damian Jones providing decent minutes in his absence, in addition to having Evan Mobley back and Jared Allen out there, is it really worth it to give up assets for another big who likely won't even see the floor once the playoffs come around? I do not think so. Depth is nice, but you don't exactly have to give up assets to acquire depth. If the team is that concerned, they can just use the buyout marker to sign a free agent. And for what it's worth, Kobe Altman seems to believe in this group, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Here is what he had to say following the deadline. And then also internally, we had some really good uh, development uh, this offseason and into the season as well. And so while those aren't acquisitions at the deadline, um, they're certainly really important parts of our roster and, and we're really, really happy and pleased uh, with how we've been playing. Um, and sometimes, you know me, I'm, I'm very active and do a lot of volume, but um, sometimes you, you don't want to mess up a good thing. And so we're going to roll with what we have and, and we're excited about the group. We're going to roll with what we have and we're excited about this group. That, ladies and gentlemen, sounds like a man who knows what he has and appreciates what he has you should too this team is on the verge of something special i can feel it including this victory which we'll talk about in just a sec they now have emerged victorious in 16 of their last 17 games and have won their last eight it's the second time this year in which they have won eight in a row it's been a very long time since they have done that. I don't think a lot of people realize this. You have to go back to the championship season of 2015-2016 to find two separate eight-game winning streaks. That's an interesting factoid. And could it allude to something possibly greater? Maybe. We'll see. For now, it seems this team has made its choice. And while it may seem that they are doing exactly what they did last season, they aren't. They just realized that sometimes the best move to make is not making a move at all. The team has returned to full strength. Sans Ty Jerome, if you even really factor him into the equation. Darius Garland is back. 
That's your additional shot creator to take the pressure off of Donovan Mitchell and could also double as shoring up the point guard position because it allows JB to stagger their minutes to have a point on the floor at all times. Evan Mobley is back and tantalizing us with a three-point shot. Since returning, he is shooting five of seven from three-point distance. That's your floor spacer that you've been hoping for out of the big man spot. With their return, Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade go back to the bench. Both are having, quite honestly, what could be considered the best seasons of their careers at the moment. Okoro is making 39% of his triples this year, and Wade is at 40.1%. Both are becoming hellhounds on defense. Throw in six man of the year contender in Karis LeVert, the flamethrower that is Sam Merrill, and the floor spacing presence at power forward that is George Niang. Not to mention the fact that you actually have playable big men off the bench this time around and Tristan Thompson and Damian Jones, and you have the depth that you've been hoping and praying for. This isn't even factoring in a very good young point guard in Craig Porter Jr., who can't even see the floor or is still developing Amani Bates, both of which figure to play big roles in the future moving forward i say all this to say this team didn't necessarily need a move let's just watch it play out now with all of that out of the way we got a game to talk about don't we with all the moves that brooklyn made it was sure to be an odd game and it showed with their starting lineup being affected with who they actually had available i mean they had to start Jalen williams uh Jalen wilson rather and ben simmons the Cavs truly dominated this one from start to finish Donovan Mitchell scored 10 of their first 14 points for fuck's sake. Then Dean Wade, fresh off of the deadline and not having to worry about being moved himself, came out hot and drilled multiple heat-seeking missiles. He's playing the best ball of his life. They ended the first quarter with a 32-21 lead behind the strong play of Dean Wade and Donovan Mitchell, who combined for 22 of the Cavs' 32 first quarter points. Now, they kept things right on rolling in the second as numerous Cavs drilled open triples, including an absolute butte from Isaac Okoro, who again is now shooting 39% from three-point distance. He has been phenomenal this year on both ends of the floor. George Niang also got, up this, uh, got out of his slump by drilling an early three. He had been really, really struggling prior to this one, shooting a combined two of 16 from three-point distance over the course of the last five games prior. It was good to see him get uh, get it going. He would finish the game with 13 total points, going 5 of 9 in the process. It's games like this that really make it hard to bench. Brooklyn would fight their way back into it, though, as they would outscore Cleveland 30-27 to with Michael Bridges really taking off and scoring 12 points on 5 of 7 from the field. The Cavs would go into the half with a 59-51 lead. Then not even a minute into the third, Ben Simmons decided to go full on heel, unnecessarily shoving Jared Allen to the floor, to which Allen responded by getting up and shoving him right back before everyone else intervened. The videotapes, Eric. You could say you did it off the box. <laughs> Happy birthday, Bernie. You Thank you. Oh, Mobley is fouled on the inside and then a technical foul. Oh, Jared Allen wants a piece of Ben Simmons. That is rare that you see Jared Allen react in that fashion. Took exception to Ben Simmons and whatever he did as the whistle was blown on the interior. Allen reacts. The team separated. It did not go to another level. 
Jared Allen is among the most mild-mannered players in the NBA. Something happened that triggered that reaction. Well, I, I think Simmons pushed him after the play was dead. Let's take a look at this again. On the right side of your screen, they're a little bit tied up. They have a personal foul and call on number 22 for Griffin. Now the plays up for a hostile physical act. So Donovan Mitchell got in between. Allen went back at Simmons, and Simmons stood there and was ready to take to Cleveland. After review, the personal foul will stand, and then we'll have offsetting dead ball contact technicals with Ben Simmons and Jared Allen. They'll be offsetting, and we'll play from the point interruption. So there you go. Because Allen reacted, he gets the technical. After the texts were given, Cleveland used that as a fuel for a cavalanche, dropping 23 straight on Brooklyn. Now, I'll bet that motherfucker will think twice about poking the bear next time. Just straight ass is Ben Simmons. Anyways, rant aside, that was some of the most beautiful basketball I have ever seen this team play this season. Everyone was getting in on the action, but it was Donovan Mitchell who was the catalyst, and that was made clear with this Austin Carr one-liner. The Cavaliers found the hole. Oh, another steal. Mitchell hit towards Smith, puts it up and puts it in. Mitchell now has 24. Donovan is so good at laying that wood on you with that upper body so he could make that layup. That's an all-timer right there, AC. Never change, dude. Never change. Honestly, though, Cleveland put the clamps on these guys. It just wasn't their day. Cleveland ended the third quarter with a 90-69 lead, outscoring the Nets 31-18 in the third. They were firing on all cylinders out there. And the crazy thing is, the Cavs were turning the ball over left and right. It was, it was frustrating at times. They had 14 total turnovers by the end of the third, alone to Brooklyn's nine. But even with that being the case, the Cavs just kept right on pouring it on. And Ben Simmons, he just couldn't help himself. He couldn't help but help the Cavs. He tried to throw the ball off of Karis LeVert while falling out of bounds, and it ended up backfiring as LeVert stymied it and took the ball for an uncontested jam. Get ahead. LeVert turns the corner. Extra. Oh, Coro. Side rim. Simmons tried to bang it off LeVert, but he caught it. Honestly, it went on that way for the rest of the game as the Cavs completely obliterated the Nets. The final score would say 118 to 95, but trust me, it was worse than the score indicates. Could have got, got a lot uglier. And as I said before, they have now won 16 of their last 17 games. They have a top 15 offensive rating, the league's second best defense, the sixth best net rating, the league's 13th highest scoring bench, its fifth best record in either conference. They have an MVP talent with an all-star caliber backcourt running mate beside him, two of the best big men in the league, a potential sixth man of the year finalist, a top 10 shooter off the bench, hellacious perimeter defenders, and an improving coach. I do not give a single fuck what anybody says. This is a contender, a title contender to be exact. Something special is occurring in Cleveland. Time to take notice. Go Cavs.